what comes to mind for you when you hear the word or the term ethical storytelling? This is why you should have prepped me with the questions, Rachel. <laughs> Rachel. Okay. Hold on. I'll just do long pauses. So, so yeah, that's I fine. could be so fine. patience with me to, to edit my sciences. It's fine. It's better than babbling. <laughs> mm-hmm. For me, ethical storytelling means to um, shift the paradigm of how stories of trauma are told by telling them in a way that leverages dignity and noticing people's strengths and gifts that they have in the midst of situations of trauma, poverty, violence, or oppression. And um, as a storyteller, I believe that it's our role um, to shift that and to notice the gold in all of the situations around the world and to pull out um, the dignity that's already innate in the story. Well said. So I know we're going to dig a little bit more into um, what you just talked about, especially with the switching of the paradigms. But I think before we move there, can you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you enter into filmmaking in the nonprofit world? So my background is in film production. Um, my bachelor's degree is in, in, in film production. I decided to pursue film because growing up as a third generation Chinese American woman, um, my perspective was very different than um, that of my peers that grew up in white contexts. And um, with a different perspective, I noticed that in the media, in the newscasts, in movies, in TV shows, that the characters were predominantly white. And if they were people of color, they were always subjugated to some character, um, so, some, some stereotypical character. Um, and particularly in international news, I noticed the disparity of equal representations of women of color in particular and how international coverage was always about the situations of poverty, violence, and war um, that women were in and the um, stories and images of just utter disparity that were just bombarding the news. And as a young girl, um, I knew that that wasn't the full picture because I come from a line of immigrants. I knew that their stories were incredibly strong. And though they had been in situations of war, the fact that they had survived war and um, able to immigrate and become um, successful um, individuals, um, those stories weren't told. And so as a filmmaker, I always wanted to kind of leverage those stories of people of color, women of color in particular, um, to tell those stories, to tell the stories of my lineage, to tell the stories of other people's lineage, lineages that aren't often seen um, in the mainstream. Beautiful. When we talk about how stories make us human, can you speak into that? How, does, how do you see that playing out in your work? Yeah, so when I first started um, photographing and filming in situations of poverty, violence, and oppression, um, I was in uh, Skid Row in Los Angeles covering stories of foster children that had um, escaped from their abusive homes and had found themselves on Skid Row. Then I was in different parts of the world, in Asia, in South America, in Africa, um, in the deepest slums, in the darkest alleys, and in brothels. And when I started this work, I think the, the thing that jumped out to me um, 
so powerfully um, as, a, as a young photographer and a young woman was that there was so much commonality in these stories. And I saw that despite the situations, the strength and the beauty and the dignity was always most evident. And so I think the common theme that I saw was that dignity is innate in every person, regardless of the poverty, violence, or oppression that they've experienced. And it may not be the situation of uh, poverty, violence, or oppression that I have experienced that's similar to theirs, but it's actually the feelings that come out of it, whether it be shame or even self-oppression, anger, despair. Those are all common human experiences. And so I learned that rather than focusing in on the situation that separates us, it is the feelings of humanity that connects us. So can you then talk a little bit about the the workshops um, that you do and what when you say that you're you're kind of turning the tables a bit and you're handing the story back um, to the people who those stories belong to? Um, can you can you speak into those workshops and what you've seen come out of them and, and tell our audience a little bit about what you've created there? So one of the workshops that I teach is on um, leveraging beauty that comes out of seemingly broken situations. And so it's um, kind of analyzing a situation of brokenness and a story maybe that arises out of this brokenness. And in analyzing the story, um, noticing the, the, the times that the character had developed strength or the times in their story that they had persevered or the times that they had hope in the midst of a situation that seemed utterly hopeless. And then recognizing um, that beauty and that strength and that hope that comes out of it, um, what can we learn from it? And when we kind of analyze these stories of um, people who have experienced um, poverty, oppression, and violence, we can actually see ourselves in those stories. And so what I've learned is, is that storytelling is actually a process of identification. It's more than just observing on the outside, but it's identifying within their story and learning from their story. Um, and so the workshops that I teach, we um, go through this process of identification and asking ourselves this question, you know, where did, where did we observe strength in the story and what can we learn from it? Um, when did we see that them telling the story was actually restoring their dignity as well. And what was that process like for them? And then we talk about the hope um, as people who are observing the story, how can we ourselves have hope by learning from um, people in oppression? I love that. And I love that what you're doing is you're taking, you're taking a narrative that I think otherwise, um, especially from a nonprofit perspective, uh, you know, might be focused on the, the negative, but instead you're looking at the resilience that's in the story. And I think when you do that, it shines a mirror back to the person and it shows them their strength, right? And I think mm-hmm. one of the things that we're trying to do in ethical storying is, storytelling is to create a foundation of good practices rather than just focusing on what not to do. And so how have you seen story play a role in protecting and healing the participants? And if there's an example that comes to mind that you'd be willing to share, uh, we'd love to hear that as well. 
So, so I mentioned that in college I studied film production, and for my thesis film, um, I wanted to go to Kenya to make a film um, about women who had overcome obstacles and were inspiring their communities with hope. And so for the first time, I found myself in Africa, in Nairobi, Kenya, and was covering um, the most horrific stories I had ever experienced at my 20 years old at that time. And uh, I was covering one story of a woman whose husband had been brutally murdered because he was a pastor and a leader in the community. And um, he had been murdered in front of his children while his, while his wife was away. He was stabbed in the head while his seven children were at home. And uh, I was interviewing the mother and two of those daughters. And um, the mother, after her husband's death, had become a pillar of strength for the community. Um, widowhood is a huge thing in, in, in the communities that I serve here in Kenya. And she had just kind of taken that role as a widow, claimed it, and then became a, um, a pillar of strength for other widows within the community. And so she was able to articulate what had happened. She was able to understand um, her own healing process, and she was able to then give that healing back to other widows in in, uh, in the community in Kisumu. When I interviewed the daughters, though, um, there was a time in the interview that one girl, her name is Jael, and she was around, I think she was around 20 or 21 at the time, she just broke down in tears to the point where she could not continue with the interview, and she actually left the room. And the other sister was left, and... I asked her, you know, when you retell the story, how does it make you feel? And she said, this is actually the first time that I'm retelling the story. And I was so shocked because they were, you know, middle-aged women and the murder had happened about 10 years ago when they were teens, but they had never had the opportunity to recount the story. And so we finished the interview and, uh, a couple months later, when I had finished editing it, I went back to Kenya to show it to these women. I invited them to my house, and I was so nervous. Because for me, if the folks that are being interviewed and telling their story are not happy and they don't feel that I had shown them in a dignified light, um, if they didn't approve of it, then I would have I scrapped it. So I was super nervous because I put my heart and soul into this thing, and I was like hoping that the way I put this film together was um, was satisfactory to them. And so we watched the film, and um, when it got to that point in the interview, you know, in the film where they were crying, I left that part in in the film, and they, you know, saw it, and they also cried. And then at the end of the film, they were still in tears, and I turned the TV off, and... Um, Ruth, the, the girl that was there, she said, wow, I feel so free. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting because I didn't realize until that point how powerful the process of storytelling was for them and that it became restorative where they were able to recount the story of their father's death for the first time. And in recounting it, not only were they able to tell of the pain and the trauma that they experienced, but they were also able to say how proud they were of their mother, that her mother, that their mother was um, a, a model of strength for the other widows in the community and how they have been able to find healing and move on with their life. And now they're, um, they're able to now share this story with the world. 
And so Giles said the same thing. Giles was like, I'm just glad the story's out so that other people can see it, so that others, if they've lost their father, could hear my voice and hear the pain that I've experienced, but know that they're not alone. So that moment for me was the first time that I realized that storytelling is a restorative process, not only for us, the filmmakers, but sometimes more importantly, um, for the storytellers themselves. Yeah. And as a filmmaker, I think it's a, it's a, it's a powerful um, position to be in. And I think you in particular have a really interesting role because you're both running a nonprofit, but you're also a storyteller. And so how have you seen yourself grow in those roles over time? How have you been shaped by stories and experiences like this? So in my work, um, I work with survivors of sexual violence and we provide um, holistic opportunities for them to learn in safe spaces and also to become leaders in their community. Um, the third program component of our organization is called Storytelling Platforms. So as an organization, we really value the power of storytelling. And the reason why this third component of our program was developed was because it came from the voices and the needs and the desires of the survivors themselves were in their newfound healing. They were one of the ones telling me, Hey, we need to go out to this school and talk about my story. Hey, we need to go to this organization. We need to go to this church. We need to go to this community and tell these other little girls how they can find hope as well. And so when I started this organization, I guess I didn't even realize how, um, important um, storytelling was until the survivors were telling me themselves that storytelling for them was the first step toward healing. That in being able to tell their story in a safe space and to retell it in a way where they're rewriting their story with hope, were they able to find healing and in, in their healing, going out into communities, telling that same story, giving that hope and healing to others, it had this really interesting reciprocal effect where um, the wounded was giving healing to the wounded and then those wounded people were, were then in turn giving healing back to um, the other wounded storytellers. So there is a huge overlap in our work with survivors and, and, um, and storytelling in that it's a reciprocal healing effect that is giving power dignity and hope back to the communities that um, thought that they lost it. Mm. So you bring up an interesting element in that you're, you are working cross-culturally um, as you're providing, I think, space for people to share their stories as part of healing. And can you talk a little bit or maybe provide some uh, insight into how culture influences story? Mm-hmm. So in my context, it's um, Kenyan context, and um, storytelling is a huge component of African context. However, stories of trauma are not, and that's because of the cultural biases against survivors of sexual violence, particularly in, in this context, which includes survivors of rape, incest, female genital mutilation. All of the stories are not actually allowed to be told. And... So in introducing this idea of storytelling initially to um, communities, it, it kind of brings about this fear because they've been judged so often in the 
past that they don't want to be judged anymore. And so a lot of people culturally would prefer to remain silent and rightfully so. Um, however, it is in the way that we um, shape the stories, the way that the survivors are able to tell exactly what had happened, but always end their story with a sense of hope that they're able to take their power back from the perpetrator that's, that you know thought that they took that power, you know? And in taking back that power, they're reshaping their story in a way that is strong, beautiful, dignified. And so that, that new model becomes the, um, the pillar of hope for other communities that then hear it. And so we're actually trying to shatter um, cultural biases and stereotypes that only perpetuate the cycle of judgment and violence um, against survivors by shifting how we tell these stories of trauma and shifting it in a way that bears hope. And in doing that, it's it's creating this really awesome reciprocal effect where others then are able to see that storytelling can actually be healing and powerful rather than um, it, it bringing about judgment and um, more fear. So what I found though that the most important thing in doing that is that these stories are told in safe spaces um, where people know that they're heard, where people know that they're valued, no matter what they've been through, they will be loved, they will be valued. And our survivors that are kind of creating this structure are becoming the models um, for that. Yeah, I think the highlighting of safe spaces is is really important there. And so when you, as both a nonprofit leader and a storyteller, just from your nonprofit role perspective, um, what role do you think that nonprofits should play in guiding their storyteller in the process? And a follow-up to that would be, what do you look for in filmmakers or, or photographers or writers? So I think the role of the nonprofit is to hold the safe space. That is the primary role, whether you're providing education and microfinance, leadership development, whatever, hold that safe space. And when the people that are receiving your services feel ready, they will tell you that they're ready. Mm. And when they finally tell you that they're ready, that is just reason to celebrate. And, and then it's the process then of letting them reiterate that story in his close circle within the smaller community, practicing it within the smaller community, guiding them through the process, allowing them to cry, allowing them to laugh, allowing them to articulate um, what was the most important thing in the story that they want to bring across. And as they shape their story and become more confident in it, that's when it can be told in a public medium. Um, so for us, that's, that's our structure. Um, for how we um, allow our survivors to share their stories, first in a smaller safe space with just our staff and then our smaller community. And then as they practice it there, they can go out into the schools and the churches where we're speaking to over 300 people. Um, and then in looking for photographers and filmmakers, I'm always looking at their approach. Um, how do they relate with um, the, the people that we serve? How do they ask questions? How do they sit and listen in silence with intentionality? How do they give eye contact, um, allowing our survivors to be noticed? And how do they use all of that approach and that relationship and that identification um, in the artistic craft to really pull that forward, to pull the dig dignity forward and to pull um, the beauty forward? Um, I believe that the best images come out of relationship um, because then the survivor is most comfortable with 
the photographer in that moment. Um, and so the, that approach of how you build that relationship is really crucial to me. Yeah. Um, so you kind of, you answered my next question a little bit, but I think just, um, I'll go ahead and ask it in case there's more that around it that you'd like to share. Uh, but one of the things that we have observed over the last, um, decade or so is that there really has, um, become an, in, there's, there's been an influx of nonprofit storytellers, uh, or people that are, are working as filmmakers and photographers in the nonprofit space. And so as you're navigating, selecting those individuals to work with, um, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you filter through them in a way that shows you whether or not they align with your values, um, in approaching storytelling? Yeah, well, I think um, our approach is going to be a lot more stringent because we work with survivors of sexual violence, only women and young women, and actually some of their stories we can't tell publicly because their court cases are so open. Um, and so what we look for first is, is for women photographers that are able to um, build relationships and know that they're safe and trusted within our community. Um, when I look at, um, their art form, I always look to see their, their history of how they are able to pull out the dignity in, in whatever it is or whoever it is that they shoot. Um, and the other thing I'm looking for more recently is local photographers. I feel that, um, local people can tell the story in a way that I can't being a cross-cultural, um, um, artist. Um, and so getting that perspective is so powerful for me in, in allowing um, local Kenyan photographers to shoot and to capture the stories of young Kenyan women. Um, and then the next phase, which is what um, I'm working on now, is um, training our survivors to tell the stories themselves through photo and film. And so eventually I want it to be them that are um, pulling the stories not only out of our community, but other communities that have similarly experienced violence. Mm-hmm. So in the context of marketing for nonprofits, you know, I think that you're, you're, as you talk about, um, coaching survivors through telling their stories as part of the process of healing, my question is where, where does the nonprofits marketing story come into that? And do you think that the role of the, the marketing, um, for a nonprofit can play a role in the dignity, um, of a, of the individuals that that nonprofit is serving? Mm-hmm. So, um, in, in our organization, I actually have a, an employee and her role is to be the storyteller. She's our program designer and storyteller. Her name is Mary Claire. And so I've worked with her for the past seven years on first learning how to, for her learning how to get her story out and telling it in a way, in a dignified way. And as she has learned through her own process, she's developed um, the curriculum for our survivors to go through so that they can get to the point of telling their story publicly. And so she has a four phase, um, storytelling model. And the first is like the introduction. That's the attention getter. Um, in context, a lot of people use, um, like African proverbs. They start with, um, stories that they've heard as children to kind of get people connected with them. Then the second thing is the story of actually what happened, whether it be the trauma or the abuse or the rape or the violence, what actually happened. And then the third phase is the turning point. 
And the turning point is what happened that gave you hope. And that turning point um, is where the organization story can come in. Um, I'm not saying that it always should because I always feel it's like it's the survivor doing the hard work and and by grace, uh, the organization met the survivor at just the right time that it became the turning point. So I feel like in the turning point, that story that's told is not that the organization was the saving grace. It happened to be a divine connection of the organization with the survivor um, in a steady movement toward hope. And then finally is the conclusion, and that's the call actually in where the survivor is then able to tell other survivors in the room that they can find healing too, or telling other um, um, people that they can learn how to identify with stories of, of as well. Um, so I feel like that turning point is a very delicate um, part of the storytelling phase that should be agreed with the storyteller themselves. Um, I don't think the organization should dictate what that turning point is, but it should be it should be represented as a partnership with the the organization and the person themselves. Very well said. So in the context of storytelling, uh, what would you go back and say to yourself when you had just started out? What have you learned? I think the biggest thing I've learned is to listen and to listen well, um, to not interject, to not try to propose my own ideas because they often won't work. Um, but to let the storyteller guide the process and to partner alongside of them in that journey. I think it's been interesting, Nicole, that you are actually referring to the story subjects themselves as the storyteller, where most people would commonly identify the filmmaker or the photographer or the writer as the storyteller. Can you speak into that ethos a little bit and why you choose to use those words? Yeah, because it's their story to be told, you know? I feel like my role as the filmmaker, photographer, storyteller, whatever, is to hold them in that safe space so that they can tell the story in the way that they want to tell it and that they can represent themselves in the way that they want to be represented. And this is why I'm stressing so much on the listening part because my role would have to listen not only to the words that are coming out their mouth, but to also listen to the undertones, to listen to um, the areas maybe that they haven't fully fleshed out so that the questions that I ask can help guide that. Um, I kind of see it as like pulling out these little nuggets of gold that are within their story that they haven't even discovered yet. Um, it's their story ultimately. And I think we would do a disservice if we thought that it was ours to tell. Um, and so our role is just to allow them to tell it, to platform it well, and to give them a solid foundation on which they can stand. We're just holding them there and letting them stand on top of our shoulders. What are some practical things you do in the actual production process to involve the, the person really with defining which direction you go with their story? Yeah, so I think um, it's 
kind of that four point flow from introduction to the story to the turning point to the conclusion, when they are able to kind of articulate all of those things, my role is to kind of put those puzzle pieces together. And then I would always reflect back like, oh, is this what you're trying to say? Like, is this movement what you're what you're conveying um, just to get affirmation on my part and then and then putting it together. Um, I usually ask for input from my staff um, to ensure that the stories that we tell can be approved from a survivor's lens. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nicole. Um, We're very thankful for your wisdom. And I think that there's a lot to be said about, uh, it's, it really is their story. And I like the imagery of we're, we're holding them on our shoulders um, and giving that platform um, to the storyteller. And there's a, there's a lot of power and healing in that space. And so thank you for the work that you do.